You are listening to the Discovery City Church Sermon Podcast. To learn more about us, including our location and service times, please visit us at discoverycitychurch.com. We hope this sermon will encourage and build your faith as you pursue God, community, and influence within your world. Now, the message from our lead pastor, Caleb York. This is my story. Last week, we said that everything has a starting point. Everything has a starting point. Love has a starting point. Your career has a starting point. Marriage has a starting point. And the same thing is true for your faith. Your faith has a starting point. Maybe for some of you, as a child, you were given the building blocks of faith. And through that, you developed a faith framework that looks like this. And we've got it up on the screen here. We're going to put it up there. It says this, God is good. God punishes evil and he rewards good. And God answers prayer. For many of you at a young age, maybe you were taught this or you were given this framework either by your church or by your parents. Maybe you didn't have either of those influences in your life and so you kind of developed it on your own. But one thing we realized last week is as we got older, there became a gap between what we believe about God and what we experience as adults. And we saw that As we grow older, it becomes harder and harder to reconcile that gap. Maybe you grew up in a church like I did, where you were taught that God loves all the children of the world. But as you got older, it seemed like God loved some kids more than other kids. Cody, man, you work in a field where it seems like that sometimes, doesn't it? Sometimes. You know what? For many of you, you were taught that God heals people. I was taught that growing up, and we prayed that God would heal people. But guess what? He didn't heal that specific relative, that family member that you had, that friend. You were taught that God answers prayer, but he didn't answer yours. And what happens is over time, even though we don't plan to, we don't mean to, many people decide to walk away from the faith simply because Their faith diminishes under the weight of adulthood. The things that we learned as children are just not holding up. The faith framework that we had as kids is not holding up against the strain of life as an adult. And so many, they just simply drift away. And so last week we said, hey, let's hit the reset button. What if we hit the reset button on our faith and said, what if we knew nothing about Jesus? What if we knew nothing about the Bible? Where would we start? Where would we begin? Where would be that that place we would want to start? And so last week, that's what we did. We decided, let's hit that reset button. Where would we begin? And we came to the conclusion last week that the statement or the phrase, the Bible says, anybody ever heard that before? The Bible says, is not an adequate starting point or returning point for many adults. It's not. It's not an adequate part, place for someone to start their faith. And for many of you today, if you're here and I were to say, hey, let's hit the reset button. Let's start over on your faith. And then I said, but the Bible says, many of you would say, I've tried that before. I've done that before and it doesn't work. I'm not interested in the Bible says. Well, guess what? I gave some good news last week. I'm going to give it today. 
the Bible says, was never intended to be the starting point of the Christian faith. Last week we looked at Paul, and Paul became a follower of Christ. He didn't have any Bible for him to show him how to become a follower of Christ. It was by personal relationships with people who actually knew Jesus. And so the Bible says was never intended to be the starting point of our Christian faith. We came to the conclusion that the starting point of our faith is actually a question. And that question is, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? And so today we're going to move on, and I'm going to slide this up because I am a taller person, and I can't see. (laughs) Today we're going to move on and look at the next level. And what if we knew nothing about the Christian faith? Where would we talk about, what would we talk about next? And so today we're going to talk about a word. We're going to talk about a word that always comes up in religious conversations, It always comes up, especially inside the church. And this word is a very important word. The word is sin. We're going to talk about the word sin today. In our culture, the word sin is a purely theological word. You never hear it anywhere else. You never see that mom at the store getting onto her child. What are you doing? What did you just do? I can't believe you just sinned. You never see a parent say that to their kid. I'm a pastor and I don't say that to my kid. You never go to the workplace and the boss says, hey, uh, can I borrow you for a minute in my office? We need to have a talk about your sin. That doesn't happen. It's purely a theological word that you only hear in religious conversations. And I think the reason why is because the word sin is a very heavy word. It has a lot of meaning behind it. It holds a lot of weight. And if you make the statement, I've sinned. I've sinned. I am in the wrong. I have done this. It leaves no room for wiggle room. It leaves no room for you to say, well, actually, I sinned, but this person did this to me, or they said this to me. I, when you say the phrase, I've sinned, there's no room. You have locked yourself in. And so people don't like to say it. They don't like to use that word because it's heavy. What happened to the word sin? Why don't we hear it in our culture today? What's happened is we've replaced it. We've removed the word sin and we've replaced it with a different word. And I've got to say this other word, this new word, is a lot easier to bear for people. It's a lot easier for people to swallow. But it's a terrible word. Because it doesn't have the same meaning as sin. The word I'm talking about that's used in our culture is the word mistake. We don't say sin anymore. We don't say I've sinned. We say I've made a mistake. But the problem with the word mistake is it has, doesn't even have close to the same meaning as the word sin. We've seen it time and time again as politicians have gotten up in front of the cameras and the lights. And they say, what do they say when they get, when they get caught in an adulterous affair? Or they get caught in illegal, doing illegal things. What do they say? I just made some mistakes. I made some mistakes. That's, that's all it is. I just, you know, I got to confess a mistake. I made some mistakes that I shouldn't have. And so many times I've watched those videos and I thought, there's no way that can be the same thing. Like that, that, that's the same thing, that it's labeled as a mistake. A mistake is something you make on a math test. For some of you, you're doing your taxes right now. A mistake is something you do on taxes. You put the wrong thing in the wrong box. That's a mistake. But when we look at some of the things that we see in our lives and in this world and we see in politicians, how can we look at it and and they label it as a mistake? There's no way that what they did was just a mistake. We hear it all the time. 
But what it does is the word mistake, all it does is dumb down the meaning of sin. It dumbs it down. It brings it to a level that we feel a little more comfortable with. If I were to take a poll today and say, how many of you have made a mistake already this morning? I think a majority of our crowd would raise their hand and say, yeah, I've made a mistake. But if I said, hey, how many of you would admit and raise your hand and say, I've sinned already this morning? I think our percentage would drop quite a bit. Nobody wants to admit to sin. Nobody wants to admit that they've sinned. It's harder for us to come to that conclusion. Harder for us to admit when it comes to sin in our life. Like I said earlier, the word mistake, it really doesn't measure up to the word sin. They don't have the same meaning. To, to, to make a mistake is to have the idea of insufficient knowledge. I didn't have all the information. I wasn't completely informed. I didn't know all what was going on. That's what mistake means. And many of us in the room today have used the word mistake for things and stuff that we've done in our life that we knew was wrong. So where's the lack of information? I made a mistake, but we knew from the beginning, from the second we started even thinking about that decision, we knew we shouldn't be doing it. But we say, hey, it's just a mistake. I made a mistake, but you knew what you were doing. Sometimes I think we see a lot of people, and even in our own lives, we plan our mistakes. We do our mistakes on purpose. And because of that, sometimes we make the same mistake over and over and over again. What do you call it when you make the same mistake over and over and over again? To me, the word mistake does not measure up to it. It doesn't cut it. The word mistake just doesn't seem to fit the bill. Because what you did wasn't just a mistake. So what do we do with a mistake? When we make a mistake in our life, what do we do? We correct it, don't we? We try to correct it. The problem is you haven't been able to correct you. You've tried. Maybe your spouse has tried. The people in your life have tried to correct this mistake in your life. You've tried to correct you, but the problem is you are the problem. And you haven't had, you haven't really, uh, you've had a really hard time trying to correct you. Have you ever had a time in your faith journey where you said, why is it that I can't do what I'm supposed to do? Why is it, I have this thing, I want to follow God, I want to do what God wants me to do, but for some reason I just keep messing up. I just keep taking this misstep, I keep doing it. Why do I do this? Have you ever felt that way before? Why do I keep doing what I don't want to do? If you've ever felt that way before, it's because it's more than just a mistake, it's more than just a mistake. Maybe, just maybe, we have a sin problem. It's not so simple just to label it as a mistake. We have a sin problem. And a baby step today for you and for me, I think an important step, is that we come to the conclusion that, guess what? I have a deeper problem. We have a deeper problem than just being a bunch of mistake makers. This isn't just a mistake. We are sinners. A definition, a better definition that I read that I thought was great was a person that knows better but does it anyways. We know what we're doing is wrong, but we do it anyways. And we see that Jesus talked about sin a whole lot. 
He spoke on sin a great amount. And one of the common reoccurring themes about sin was this. Sin breaks relationships. Sin breaks relationships. And because of this, Jesus' purpose in talking about sin was restoration and not condemnation. If you got your service guide in your hand, I would challenge you to pull that up. In the inside flap, you'll see talk notes. And this is our first note this morning. Jesus' purpose in talking about sin was restoration, not condemnation. Grab those notes. Take these down this morning. For some of you, you probably go to different churches and things like that. We want to challenge you to take notes because we've been there before. We know what it's like to go through a service. And for many of you, maybe at your church, you might just doze off or stare into space or something like that. But here, we actually want you to learn something. And so take notes with us this morning. We think it's going to help you really grasp what we're talking about this morning. Jesus' purpose in talking about sin was restoration, not condemnation. Jesus wanted us to talk about sin. And as painful as it is, he wants us to discuss it. What's our reaction when we have sin in our life? We love to hide it. We don't want anybody to know. And Jesus says, hey, you've got to talk about these things. You've got to bring it up. I know it's going to hurt. I know you're going to feel some pain, but you've got to discuss it. And the reason why is because he doesn't want to condemn us. He wants us to admit something. Jesus wants, to admit, wants us to admit something that you and I are not just mistakers. We're sinners. Nobody wants to admit they're sinners. But Jesus says, guess what? If you want to be restored, you've got to admit something. You've got to come to this. I'm not here to condemn you. I'm not here to knock you down. You've got to admit we are sinners. And Jesus knew as long as we think, well, you know, I'm, actually, I'm just not a perfect person. I make some mistakes. I do this. I do that. I just make some, some bad mistakes. You'll never do what you have to do to bring about restoration. Jesus knew that. As long as you play this game and keep playing it off and just saying, you know, I just got to make a few tweaks in my life. All I got to do is change a few things in my life and then all of a sudden I'll be good. If you keep playing that game, Jesus knew that as long as you think it's just a mistake, all I did was make a mistake. You won't do what you need to do to bring about restoration in your life. My kids if your kids are like mine, they're very destructive. I've got five kids, four boys, one girl. And I have started this habit of playing video games with my kids. I've always had a game system growing up as a kid. We had the first Nintendo, and we kept upgrading through the years. Everybody, most people had that experience. And as I got older, my kids came along. I did something really silly. At the very young age of two, I showed my son Jack, my oldest, how to play Xbox. And it's been a downhill slope ever since. And so we've always had game systems. We've always bought video games and had fun. And we lived in Pittsburgh before we moved here to help uh, to, to plant the church. And uh, in our basement, we had this big room that was our playroom. It was the area where we said, hey, kids, go play, go have fun. When we had, when we had community groups during the week, we'd send all the kids down there. And that was the play, that was the play zone. Not only was it the play area for all the toys, it was the game room. That's where me and the boys, man, we sat down with our Xbox controllers, and, man, we played Minecraft. We played games together, had fun. And I remember one morning I was a youth pastor at the church there in Pittsburgh, and I was heading downstairs. What I would do is I'd head downstairs, walk through that playroom, and I would go outside, get in my truck, and go to the office. And that morning I walked down the stairs, and I turned the light on, and I look on the floor, and all I see is a bunch of game discs, and they're snapped in half and just strewn all over the floor. 
Now, if you're not a game, you're like, so what? You know how much a game costs brand new? 60 bucks. That, I was looking at torn money all over the floor is what I was looking at there. And my first reaction was not, oh, okay, that's interesting. My first reaction was, boys! Get down here right now. Like, what are you doing? You are destroying our games. That's, we spent money for that. I remember my two boys came running downstairs, and I'm like, who did this with fire in my eyes and smoke billowing out my ears? I'm like, who did this? And my oldest, Jack, does this. He goes, it was Josh. He did it. And instantly, Josh was like, he does his little thing where like his eyes get super big and then he just starts slowly backing up like he's going to leave the room or something like that. And I look at Josh and I'm like, Josh, what did you do? And he looked at me and said, sorry. And instantly when he said that, all my anger and frustration just left. Man, I, I calmed down all of a sudden. Anybody believe in that? If you believe that, I got some land I want to sell you, all right? Just meet me right after the service. No. Sorry doesn't fix everything. Sorry doesn't fix everything. And Jesus knew that sorry doesn't restore relationships. As long as you see yourself as a mistake maker, you'll never seek forgiveness because mistakes don't require forgiveness. Remember what I said about a mistake? A mistake is just a lack of information. I didn't know, I was confused. Mistakes don't require forgiveness. The only way for a relationship to be restored is for the offender to admit the offense. That means not sorry, but I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I messed up, this is not a mistake, I did this on purpose, I'm sorry, I have sinned. Jesus, he shows up on the scene, he comes to this earth, in essence, what he's trying to do is he's trying to tell us that God wants us to be restored to him. And the only way that's gonna happen is by seeking forgiveness. But you can't do that if everything's just a mistake. The only way you're going to seek forgiveness is by you not being just a mistaker, but by being a sinner and knowing that and understanding it and embracing it. Because when you think you're a mistaker, you'll never seek forgiveness. When Jesus was on this earth, instead of dumbing down sin and saying, you know what, I understand your problems. You know, I, I see that you had a rough home life and your parents, they didn't treat you very well and people weren't very nice to you. And so I understand why. No, Jesus didn't do that. He didn't dumb it down. He didn't play it down as no big deal. What Jesus would do is he would go to a group of people and he would raise the bar so high that the crowd that was listening to him would say, we are doomed. We do not stand a chance. There's no way we can get to heaven on our own. There's no way we can fix ourselves. That's what they would do. That's how Jesus would respond to them. And about that time when they felt like, hey, we're doomed, Jesus would say, but guess what? I came for doomed people. That's why I came. You are doomed without me. And that's why I came to this earth. And so today, Jesus is trying to get people to realize there's something that we're, we're not understanding about ourselves. You'll never know him until you realize something about you. And that's what we're going to focus on today. That's what we're going to look at. 
we see Jesus talking to two different groups of people. We see one group of people that have the mentality of eat, drink, and be merry. This group, they're like, hey, we're going to hell already. It doesn't matter. So let's go ahead and have a party now. And then he's talking to another group that's there. And this group is the Pharisees. And the Pharisees dumbed down sin so much that they thought they didn't sin at all. And so Jesus is talking to these two groups. And we're going to look at Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 verse 20 is where we're going to read. We're going to pick up this story. Matthew chapter 5 verse 20 says this. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. At that point, the audience is like, oh no, <laughs> we, what? We're messed up? We can't do anything about that? There's nothing we can do to fix this? Like, we're doomed. There's no way we can be as good as the Pharisees, much less more righteous than them. And so Jesus continues. And I'm sure their thought was, okay, okay, Jesus gave us like the shock and all. Now he's going to give us like, he's going to bring it down to our level so we can keep up with this and we can be a part. Here we go, verse 21. It says, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. At that moment, the crowd said, whew. Thank you, Jesus. Like, we haven't done that. We haven't murdered anybody. So obviously, thank you, man. You brought it down to where we can be a part. And that's, we've, we've never murdered anybody. We're good now. We're covered. But Jesus is not done. Verse 22. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Or in other words, in God's economy of things. If you're guilty of anger towards anyone you're guilty of murder towards them. You've already committed murder in your heart, at which this point the crowd's like, uh-oh, we've done that before. We've been angry with someone in our heart. We've been there. We've done that. You know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. You, you know what that feeling is like to be angry with someone? You know those scenarios that we play in our mind when we have anger towards someone in our heart? You know what I'm talking about? Those daydreams that we have? You know, where you dream that everything works out for you, but for that person that you're having these feelings towards, like everything goes wrong for them. Like you have the dream that, you know, that boss that is treating you like trash and you can't stand and you just hate their guts. And in your mind, you play this scenario where you get the promotion and then you turn to them and say, you're fired. Clean out your desk. You're out of here. <laughs> everything worked out for me. Jesus is saying right here, when we play those scenarios in our heart, when we have that anger in our heart for someone, you've already committed murder. You're guilty of murder. He continues on, verse 27. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent. I'm sure all the men in the crowd were like, come on, Jesus, what are you talking about? Is my wife still here? Oh, she's gone. Come on, Jesus, you know everybody does that. All guys do that. You know, you see that girl walking around the marketplace and you're like, she is hot. She is hottie. She, we all do that, Jesus. What are you talking about? Why would you say that? We all have done that before. It's, a, it's something guys do. And what does Jesus say in verse 28? He continues on. When I find it, here we go, verse 28. 
has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus goes on and on and on, and he raises the bar higher and higher and higher till finally the people are like, there's no point in even trying. We couldn't even get close if we wanted to. Why even try? But the moment that they start saying, hey, we can never be good enough is when Jesus rushes in and says, guess what? That's why I'm here. That's why I came. You can't be good enough. You can't achieve righteousness on your own. It doesn't end with sin. If you do this on your own, you go from sin to condemnation. But when you have no hope, when you admit, I have sinned, I am the problem, is when you are restored to God. That's when you can be restored to God. But here's the key. Mistakers can never be restored. If you're going to play the game, I just make mistakes. You can never be restored. Only sinners can be restored. We see a story later on where Jesus is confronted by the Pharisees and a a woman. They bring her before him and she's caught in adultery. And they bring her right in front of Jesus and they say, Jesus, the law says that we caught this woman in adultery and now we can throw stones at her until she is dead on the ground. I'm not going to go into the whole story, but we see that Jesus shares in dialogue with them. And not long after, all those Pharisees, all those people leave. They're gone. And it's just Jesus and this woman. And what does he say to this woman? He looks this woman in the eye and he says, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. I don't condemn you. Or in other words, honey, you are a sinner. You got caught. And I don't condemn you. Go. Go, go, don't sin anymore. No, don't, uh, and sin no more. We're not gonna talk about the decisions you've made. We're not gonna talk about what happened in the past. Go. I don't condemn you. That's Jesus right there. Jesus did that. And I think he wants us to understand from that story that when we embrace it, Instead of trying to hide it, instead of trying to lie to ourselves and say, I'm just a mistaker. When we embrace, I am a sinner, he'll offer us something. When we acknowledge that you need to be restored, he will restore you. But try to play that middle game and ride the fence and say, you know, I'm not a bad person. I just make some mistakes. You can't be restored. You'll never be restored. I'm good, but I'm a good person. You know, I, I, I just made some mistakes, but I'm a really good person. No, you try and play that game and you can never be restored. You can't go halfway. That's not how it works. One of the most famous stories that Jesus ever told was when he was with another group, just like the groups before, the eat, drink, and be merry group, the Pharisee group. And he tells some very famous stories that we hear all the time. If you've grown up in church, you've heard these stories many times. He told the story of the lost sheep. He tells the story of the lost coin. And then one of the most famous stories is the story of the lost son. It's what we would call the parable of the prodigal son. We see a son comes to his father and says, Dad, I know you're not dead yet, but I want my inheritance now. I want my inheritance now. And the story goes that 
because this father was a good father, he said, all right, here you go. Here's your inheritance. And we see this young man take his money, and it says that he goes to a far country. And while he's in this far country, he lives a riotous life, and he's blowing his money on anything he can waste it on. He's got people that are surrounding him, and he's just handing them money and saying, yeah, yeah, hey, let's have fun. Eat, drink, be merry. Let's have a good time. And finally, his money runs out. And when his money runs out, his friends run out. There's nobody there. He's there by himself. He's got no shelter. He's got no food. He's got no protection. He's got no nobody there with him. And as the story goes, it finally comes to the point where he's able to find a job with a pig farmer. And he's out slopping the pigs. I'm from the south. If you don't know what that means, I'll tell you. He's taking anything that the farmer can take that's organic and natural, and they put it in a bucket, and they let it rot, and then they just throw it to the pigs, because pigs will eat anything. You throw a can in there, a shoe, they'll eat it. It's gross. As the story goes, as he's feeding the pigs, he becomes so hungry that he even reaches in and starts eating himself, because he's in such need. And it says as he's in there eating with the pigs, he comes to his senses, and he realizes, I've messed up. I've messed up. I have a father who loves me and who would take care of me, and I'm here eating with the pigs. I've messed up. And so he decides, it's time for me to go home. It's time for me to go back to my father. I want you to understand something. This story right here, Jesus is telling a parable. A parable is a a made-up story. I hope you understand that. It's a made-up story. It's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. But Jesus is telling this story and what's cool about this story is Jesus puts words in certain people's mouths in this story. And so the first person he puts words in the mouth is the son. If we look at Luke chapter 15, Luke chapter 15 verse 21 says this, And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned. He's returned home. He's standing in front of his dad and he's saying, Father, I have sinned. I have sinned. Not sorry. Sorry I wasted all your money. No. I have sinned. I've messed up. I've, I've done wrong. He doesn't say, Dad, I made a few mistakes. Some things happened, and I just, we need to talk. You know, I had this job, and things kind of fell through, and things really got tough. No, he says, I have sinned before heaven and before you. Some of you, you're here this morning, and you've never said those words to God before. You've gotten close. Man, you've come to God and said, God, I have sinned, but can you believe they did this to me? Can you believe that they did that? That's why I sinned, God, because they said this to me and he did this to me. You got close. Has there ever been a time where you had said those words to God and said, God, I have sinned. I have sinned against you. What does he say? Verse 21, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Or in other words, he says, Dad, I broke the relationship. I recognize that our relationship has been severed. I don't don't deserve to call you my father. I don't deserve for you to even call me your son. The relationship is severed. It's broken because of my sin. No excuses. He lays it out. He admits to it. He owns his sin. Can you imagine this scene? 
father and son standing, a son standing face to face, and his son is just laying it all out. And how does the father respond? Look at verse 22. It says this, But the father said to his servants, This father doesn't even answer his son when he's slaying all this out. He doesn't even address him. And I think the reason why is because the father finally heard the words that he was dying to hear. He finally heard his son say the words that he's been wanting to hear for so long. He realizes, finally, my son gets it. He recognizes what he has to do to be restored. He gets it. He understands. Not, Dad, I'm sorry, but I just make some mistakes. No, my sin has severed the relationship. I have sinned. He owns his sin. The father continues on, verse 22. says, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And notice the words that Jesus puts into the mouth of the father in verse 24. For my son was dead. I gotta ask you this. Was his son actually dead? No. He's standing right before him. He's talking to him right there. He's not physically dead. But what this father is saying is, you were dead to me because our relationship was severed. But now you're alive because he owned his sin. He owned his sin. Verse 24, for this my son was dead and is alive again. And he was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Man, they're having a party. Why were they celebrating? Because the relationship had been restored. It was severed. It was broken and it had become new. The relationship was made new because the son recognized, I'm not just a bad money manager. He recognized that, you know what? I don't just have issues with time. I'm not just a lazy person. I'm not just selfish while all those things are true. He recognized that I'm not just a mistaker. I'm a sinner. And I've sinned. And now, because I've recognized that, and because the relationship has been restored, it's party time. It's time to celebrate because the relationship has been put back together. Many people today think that sin is the pathway to condemnation. We don't want anybody to know that we've sinned. That's why we make this word up. That's why we give the meaning of mistake. Because we think as soon as we say it, it's over. We think as soon as we let the word out, I've sinned, it's done. But this brings me to my next point. Recognition. Recognition of sin paves the way to restoration. When you finally open your eyes and quit playing games... And you understand and you recognize, I am a sinner. It opens the way, it it paves the way to restoration in your life. Restoration in that relationship between you and God. When you stop playing the game. So many people, they think in their minds, you know, if I come up and say I'm a sinner, then boom, automatically God's like, I'm done with you. You're out of the church, you're out of the group, you're out of the club, you're done, get out. That's what people think. They think God leads and sin leads to condemnation. But Jesus is like, you're not listening. The only way back is not excuses. The only way back is recognizing. 
The only way back to a right relationship is to say, I have sinned. It's my fault. I have broken the relationship. And when you do that, Jesus says, I'll offer you forgiveness. It's here. It's ready. It's waiting. I'm just waiting on you. That has been and always will be Jesus' message of sin. That brings me to my last point. Jesus always viewed the confessing of sin as a means to an end that you can't get any other way. Jesus always views the confessing of sin as a means to an end that you can't get no other way. Next week, we're going to be back continuing this series, continuing this discussion. And we're going to look at the, the top three religions in the world today. The top three in the religions in the world today, a lot of people have viewed, uh, have this view that all roads lead to God. That all, everything leads to God. Everything comes back to God. As long as we're on one of these roads, we're going in the same direction. But the truth is, the word sin and the confessing of sin is the one thing that separates it all. It's the one thing that separates it all. Jesus and sin, those are the two issues that you have to start with when it comes to that starting point of faith. So this morning, where do you stand? Where do you stand with Jesus? Who is Jesus to you? Is he just a great man? Is he just a great prophet? If you think that, it doesn't cut it. Where do you stand with sin? Well, I just make some mistakes. I've got mistake problems. I've just got some issues. Some of you have never really said to God, I have sinned against you. And because of my sin, I've broken my relationship with you. The only way to restore it is to acknowledge your sin. And for some of you, maybe you've done that before. You've acknowledged, I'm a sinner, I'm broken, I need you. You started a relationship with God, but what happened is you fell back in your old ways. You fell back to that old sin that seems to continue to take hold of your life. And because you went back, you feel further from God than you've ever been before. You feel like there's a hundred miles between you and God. But the truth is, that couldn't be further from the truth. When we accept him as our Savior, when he becomes our Lord, he's close to us. And we're close to him. That's what sin does. It injures the relationship. It makes us feel so far away. And God's standing right next to us saying, I'm right here. I haven't gone anywhere. Sin injures that relationship. The only way to change that, the only way to be restored is to acknowledge your sin. And so today, are you going to continue to live a life that says, I'm just a mistaker? I make mistakes. Or are you going to confess, I'm a sinner? My problem is sin. Because when you do that, that's when everything changes. That's 
when you can be restored. Let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you. God, how great you are. Lord, we thank you for Jesus and how and the message that he, he gave to us. He loves us. He wants us to be restored. He's not trying to knock us down. He's not trying to destroy us. We're going to make some terrible decisions. We're going to sin in our life because we are sinners. My prayer this morning, if there's anyone here in this room today and they're trying to play that game, but they're just a mistaker. I just make some mistakes. I just got to correct some issues that this morning they would open their eyes. Quit playing the game. That they would understand that they are a sinner and that they need you. Lord, we need you. We can't do this on our own. We try and we try and we try, but we fail every time. It's only through you that we can be restored. It's only through you that we can truly know you, God. Lord, be in this time of invitation. Just be moving through hearts, speaking to people in a way only you can. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Discovery City Church podcast. If you've been impacted by this ministry and would like to help us continue to help others, you can give online at discoverycitychurch.com slash give.